Today is officially the end of summer at Crossroads, even though summer officially was over on Thursday. And most of you know that within Summer of Crossroads, we, we kind of do these little mini-series of messages. And about five weeks ago, we started a, a series of messages where we said something that's very familiar to you because I talk about this a lot. We said your past isn't your past if it's still impacting your life today. Your past isn't your past if it's impacting our present so we said over these last four weeks that, you know, here's the thing. If you don't learn to deal with the things of the past, if you don't learn to transform the pain that's associated with your past, then you're just going to take that pain and that stuff with you. And, and, and again, we started down this road of looking at, well, what does it look like to change? What, is, what does transformation actually look like? And we said that it all starts with confession. It starts with you and I realizing that hurt and guilt are the direct response of sin that we've committed or of the sin that's been committed against us. Confession starts with admitting that you and I are hurt and broken and lonely and confused. It starts with admitting that things in our lives, even though we say things are fine, that things are actually not fine. And during these last few weeks, one of the things that I said was that confession actually brings us to a pivotal place, a place where you and I have to make a decision on which road or path we're going to take. Are we going to take the path of, 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 of working on our sin? Because we've all got sin issues. Are we going to take the path of working on our sin issues or are we going to take the path of trusting God with my sin issues? And, and then we moved into looking at what that looks like. So after confession, we talked about forgiveness. What does it mean to forgive? What does it look like to forgive? And, and again, if you weren't here, I basically said that my, and, and again, let, let, me, let me tell you, this is my concept. My concept or my idea of forgiveness, it, it really comes out of a verse that's found in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15. And, and I covered this then, and I'm going to cover it again today. So here's, here, here's the verse that really kind of encapsulates my whole idea, uh, this whole concept of forgiveness. It says, look after each other. So that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Now look at what it says in that last sentence. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up in your life to trouble you. Corrupting many. It's, it's that verse. Just keep that in mind. Because I, I want to give you a thought that surrounds this whole idea. For, for me, again, for me, I want to give you a thought that surrounds this whole idea of forgiveness. And not just forgiveness, it's a thought that surrounds this idea of unforgiveness. And I think this is important for all of us to see. A, a, again, look at, look, look, at what, look at what we got on the screen because we want you to see this. The writer in Hebrews talks about bitterness. 
And can I tell you and be honest with you, it's really easy to be bitter. I know many of you are like me, and people do things to you and do things behind your back, and they mistreat you. They, they, you, you know, we, can go, we can go a number of ways, and we become bitter. And in that bitterness, you may be justified. You may be justified in that bitterness, the things that have happened to you. But you need to understand that bitterness still contaminates everything. You may be completely justified in the bitterness that's a part of your life. And listen to me this morning. You may have every right not to forgive some of the people that have done things to you in this life. But you need to understand. Bitterness contaminates everything. Bitterness spreads far and deep and wide. And if you continue to live in bitterness, that bitterness will contaminate everything. Because listen to me this morning, bitterness isn't isolated to the source of bitterness. Bitterness spreads to everything. It spreads to all of your relationships. And if bitterness, listen, 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 is left unchecked, bitterness will spoil everything that is important to you. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It will. It will spoil everything that's important to you. So here's what I think is so important when it comes to forgiveness. Again, I want you to see this on the screen. You don't forgive somebody for their sake. You forgive others. Come on now. So that you can walk in freedom. You forgive other people so that you can experience freedom. Now, now for those that were here last week, we looked at living a life of generosity. And we said that living a generous life it really comes out of what we just talked about. It comes out of forgiveness. It comes out of being forgiven. The, 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 the really the foundation of generosity is realizing the grace of God that has been lavished upon us when we actually don't deserve it. And because of the grace, li listen, the grace that's been lavished on you and me, because of what God has done for us, how could we not live a generous life when we realize what God has given us? So this brings me to this morning. And this morning, I want to wind. This is why I wanted to go one more Sunday outside of the summer at Crossroads. Because I wanted to talk about something that I think we've all experienced in life. And the thing that all of us, front to back, side to side, listening and watching online, the thing that we've all experienced is regret. Now think about regret. Because the more I thought about this message on regret, it made me think that, you know, what I really should have done is spoke on confession and regret and forgiveness. But I didn't do that. 
And regardless of the fact that that message wasn't in between confession and forgiveness, I think we all understand that regret is that thing that most of us are going to experience multiple times in our lives. See, here's the thing. You know that life is, it just involves pain. You know that life involves pain. And if there's anything we know when we talk about pain, the pain of life is just something to all of us. It just hurts. It just stings. But see, you talk about the pain and the sting of life. It's the sting of regret that's unique. Because the pain of regret is you have regret over here saying to you, if you had done something different, regret says if you had responded in just a little bit different way, then maybe this situation or maybe that situation wouldn't have happened in your life. Or maybe that situation wouldn't have happened the way that it did. And again, when you think about it, it's going through these situations in life that bring us pain. Those are the times when you're going through a painful situation and and somebody knows you're going through a painful situation, you know, a very well-meaning person will come up to you and say, you know, Randy, just give it time. Time heals. Time will heal that wound. But can I say something that I know from personal experience? Time does not heal those wounds. And the more I've thought about the pain in my life that I've had to deal with, what you see behind me is what I have found to be true. Time doesn't heal wounds. It's God that heals those wounds. It's with God. Time doesn't heal the wounds. But with God, that's when I can experience the healing that I both need and I desire. There's an interesting story found in the Old Testament, and it's actually in 2 Samuel. And this story in 2 Samuel actually, it encompasses multiple chapters. And if you know anything about me, I love the New Testament, but I really love the Old Testament. And, and, and this is one of those stories that's really interesting because it's, it's a story about David and, and David's response. And, and, and let me kind of give you the context and let me give you the background so you understand because, again, uh, this story has a lot of names that I'll probably mispronounce, but again, that doesn't really matter. The, it's, it's the underlying thread of the story that's important. Amnon was David's firstborn son. And we're told in this story that David's son, Amnon, had a sexual obsession with Tamar. 
who was David's daughter by another wife. So that meant that Tamar would be Amnon's half-sister. So Amnon develops this kind of sexual obsession with Tamar, and in having this sexual obsession with Tamar, this is one of those things where David says, you know what, I'm going to plot to do something because I want to get Tamar to come to bed with me. So what, they, what, what, what Amnon did is he pretended to be ill, and, and in being ill, he was going to get Tamar to bring food for him, and he thinks that, you know, if everything works out like I want it to work out, I'm going to get Tamar into bed with me. So he exercises or ex- executes his plan, his plot. And Tamar goes into Amnon's room to serve him food. And Amnon, again, according to plan, tries to get Tamar to sleep with him. And she refuses. And because Amnon is stronger, he rapes his half-sister. Amnon raped his half-sister Tamar. It's in the Bible. And let me just also say this. This is not a story that a lot of pastors are going to use for a sermon. But, 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 he, but here's what it says. Look at 2 Samuel 13, verses 14 and 15. But he refused to listen to her because she said no to his sexual advances. And since he was stronger than she was, he raped her. Now look at what it says. Then Amnon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had ever loved her, his half-sister. And he said to her, get up and get out. After he raped her. And here's what's interesting. Tamar is the only person in this whole sordid story that shows integrity and courage. Because, see, Amnon was counting on her not to say anything about the rape. He was counting on her to keep it all hushed up. But Tamar doesn't go along with that. Instead, she would go out and indicate in a very public way exactly what it is that her brother had done to her. Because Tamar was absolutely sure that her father would come to her side. Her father was David. And Tamar was betting on David's character. She was waiting on David, her father, who was said to be a man after God's own heart. A man who had the power of the kingdom behind him. To come into this situation where she had been raped by her brother and to set things right. To stand up, to do something for her. For David to show just this little 
minuscule amount of courage in this situation. But as far as we can tell from the text, the scripture, David did nothing. Why? We don't know. He didn't lift a finger to help Tamar. And we don't know why because the scripture does not say. We can draw assumptions. Maybe he was preoccupied with being the king. Maybe he was afraid of what Amnon might do to him in response. Because that's the way parents are sometimes. See, sometimes as parents, we need to do real hard things. Sometimes as a parent, we need to have a real hard conversation and really use some tough words. But sometimes parents are afraid of what their children will do back to them. So like David, sometimes parents make the decision to do nothing. But I think there's a reason in the story. You see, I think the reason that David did nothing was because David was paralyzed by his own sin. I think David was paralyzed by his own fallenness. But for whatever reason, at the moment in his life as a father, at the time when David need to take, needed to take action the most, listen to me, David did nothing. Now we're talking about David who faced Goliath. We're talking about David the warrior. We're talking about David who defied Saul. We're talking about the same David who was the leader of the nation of Israel. This same David didn't do as much as lift a finger to help his own daughter. You see, here's something that I noticed when I read this story. And this isn't something that just applies to the story. This is something that applies to your life, and it applies to my life. And here's what it is. When we fail to deal with sin, effectively, and redemptively. It's just going to lead to more sin. When we fail to deal with sin effectively and redemptively, then you just need to understand it's going to lead to more sin. And that's what happens in this story. Here, here's the thing. Two years go by until the day comes when Absalom, who is actually Tamar's full brother, real brother, he just makes the decision. You got Amnon, who was the one that raped Tamar. That's a half brother. You got uh, Absalom, who is her full blooded brother. He just decides, you know, if David's not going to do something, then I'm just going to go and I'm just going to take matters into my own hands. So Absalom revenges the rape of his sister Tamar by killing Amnon, his half brother. And once he kills him, 
He can't stick around. So Absalom runs away and goes into exile and stays in exile for three years. And think about this. During that three-year period, once again, David did absolutely nothing. No contact with his child for three years. Who, if David had done the right thing in the first place, then his son Absalom might have taken a totally different path, a totally different approach to the situation. And David does nothing. And again, if you were to read the whole story, the, the, the story will tell you that the, that, the, that the spirit of the king, the spirit of David, it longed to go to be with Absalom. But David didn't go. He stayed at home. He did nothing. That was the choice that he made. The story tells us that finally after three years of exile, three years after he killed his brother, Absalom makes a decision to come back to Jerusalem. Now just think, you've been in exile for killing your half-brother for three years. You're going to come back to Jerusalem and you just have to wonder. You've had basically no contact. You have to wonder what's going through his mind, what's going through his heart. How, how are people going to respond to him? When I get to the gates of Jerusalem, what's my father David going to do to me? Will he be harsh? Will he be tender? Will he forgive me? What will he say? Look at 2 Samuel 14. Joab went to Geshur, Geshur and brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. But David said, the king, he must go to his own house. He must not see my face. So Absalom went to his house and did not see the face of his father, of the king. Absalom returns to Jerusalem, and he never sees the face of his father. But finally, he's so desperate to see his father that Absalom makes a decision to set a field on fire. And when he sets that field on fire, listen to what happens. He gets caught, and he admits that he set that field on fire because he was trying to get the attention of his father David. I mean, can you imagine the frustration in the heart of a child that's trying to get the attention of their parent? So much so that they'll set a field on fire. Now think about that. Because that's what kids will do. They would like to have their parents' loving attention. But if a kid can't get their parents' attention, let me tell you what they'll do. They'll set a field on fire. They'll get pregnant. They'll use drugs. They're going to break laws. Or they're going to get caught doing something they know they shouldn't do. And they do it just so they can get the attention of their parent. 
Absalom got more and more frustrated. And so after four years of not being able to see his father, at just the right moment when exactly things were, should, were as they should be, Absalom seized power. And when Absalom seized power from David, David went into exile. David went into the wilderness. And see, here's what I believe. I think it's when David returned to the wilderness that that's the place where David opens his heart up to God again. But then David, who was again a warrior from his youth, has to lead one more military campaign. And that campaign was going to be against his son, Absalom, who had taken over and driven David into exile. So, so David gets with the generals, and, and the David's troops prepare for battle, and as they do, he strategizes the, 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 the plan for the battle, and, 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 and they tell him, David, look, you, you've got to stay behind. And he does stay behind. But he had warned, David had warned his generals, be gentle with my son, Absalom. In other words, don't kill him. And again, here's the thing. If you're here this morning, and some of you are that know this story, then you know in this battle that Absalom is actually killed. Look, look, at, look at what it says in verse 23 of 2 Samuel 18. When David found out that Absalom had been killed, it says the king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and he wept. And he said as he went, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. My son, my son. I'm going to leave that up there just a minute. Look, look at what it says. That's the heart of a father whose heart is breaking. And you say, well, why would his heart be breaking? Well, definitely it's because he's lost his son. But I think David's heart is breaking because he's now wondering how different this story might have been. If only in the beginning. He had actually handled things differently. Because I think this is the place, I think in, in, in verse 23 there, that's the place where David is confronted with a mountain of regret. What if? I mean, have you ever said that, what if? What, what if? What if I'd done things differently? Well, I think David says, what, what if I hadn't followed my lustful de desires and slept with Bathsheba, who wasn't my wife? What if I hadn't turned to sin, trying to take what wasn't mine and make it mine by killing her husband? What if I'd taken the time to sit down with my children and just talk to them when things started to go south? What if I just said to them, Let, let's just talk, let's talk about our hearts. 
I want to tell you about my choices. I want to tell you about my sorrows. I want to tell you where I went wrong. I want to tell you how I messed up. I want to guide you in a better way. I want to sit down and I want to ask you, my children, to forgive me. And I have to warn you right here. See, this is the place where you can sit in these nice brown seats in the darkness of this room, in your car, in your office, in your home, and listen to this and say, you know what, this is just another day, another time, another you know, hour that we spend in worship. And Randy tells us one of those stories from the Bible. But this is not that kind of story. Because if you realize, there's a little of this story. Listen, listen, listen. There's a little of this story in all of us. Right? Because you're like me. You've got regrets. Maybe you're married. And let me, let me just say this. Maybe you're married... And nobody gets married expecting regrets. Maybe you're married and there's something going on. Maybe there's a behavior that you're involved in. Maybe you're married and there's a relationship with somebody. Maybe this morning it's not a full-blown affair but you already know that you have crossed lines that you shouldn't have crossed. And that's the road you're on to a full-blown affair if you don't watch out. Let me tell you, if that's where you are, get off that road. Maybe God is calling you to take a risk. And in that risk that God is calling you to, you shrink back because of fear. And you're going to get to the end of your life. And you're going to say, God, why didn't I trust you? Why did I let fear hold me back from keeping and keep me from do, from, and not doing the thing that you wanted me to do to serve you? Maybe there's a conversation, a hard conversation that you've been avoiding. And, and you know, I mean, you know that God is telling you right now that if you get to the end of your life without doing that, there's going to be a pile of regret. If you don't have the conversation, there's going to be a mountain of regret waiting on you at the end of your life. Maybe there's a confession that you need to make. Just a load of guilt or garbage or whatever on your heart. And you know this morning that it's time for you to clean that up. So let me ask you, will you allow me to speak some hard truth to you today? Don't do what David did. Don't assign yourself to living a lifetime of regret. 
Listen to me this morning, Crossroads. If there are words that need to be said, say them. If there's a choice that needs to be made, then make that choice. But see, here's the thing. Even as I'm talking to you about this morning, about this this morning, some of you are saying in your mind, I just wish I had heard this message two years ago. I just wish I had heard this message a year ago. Because I look at my life and I think I've already been assigned a lifetime of regret. Simply because of some of the choices that I've made in my past. Maybe you wish that you had spent more time with your kids in their, you know, in their early years. Maybe it's your financial life. Maybe there's a debt or foolish spending or, 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 or you know that you're not living that life of generosity like we talked about last week. See, here's the thing about regret. Let me just tell you this. When it comes to regret, there's only one place for regret, human regret, the cross. The cross is the only place for human regret. And it's simply because of the cross that we don't have to minimize our regret. We don't have to deny our regret. But see, it's because of the cross that we bring our regrets. We bring all of our regrets and we put those regrets down at the foot of the cross. Because you see, here's the thing. Look, look right here. God is in the redemption business. And here's the thing. At the foot of the cross, regret turns into repentance. And repentance turns into redemption. So let me tell you this morning, Crossroads, if you're living a life right now that is headed toward that mountain of regret, let me just tell you, get off that road. If you're carrying on your back a load of regret that you can't fix, that's in the past, just put it down. Because here's something I want you to know. These last five weeks, really, I want to tell you, not just the last five weeks, but this whole thing that we do on Sunday morning and during the week, this whole church thing, you know what it's about? It's about pointing you back to the gospel. And by the gospel, I mean something that I said last week, and we're going to put that up on the screen. When I talk about the gospel, it's this. You don't save you. God saves you. So you don't partner with God in your salvation. Just, just, just get that out of your mind. God is the one who saves you. Because if it's up to me to earn God's favor, I'm just going to tell you I'm in trouble. And the thing that you need to know this morning is that God loves you. God doesn't wait to love you when you get all your stuff together. It's not when you think you've got all the things nailed down that you need to get nailed down. 
That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says this morning that he delights in you. So here's my hope. My hope for you is that you get tired of playing church. That it just exhausts you when it comes to playing church. And as you look at your life, all the trash that you've picked up throughout the years, about not being able to be honest and not be able to be perfect, I just want that to get lost as a result of the last five weeks. Because here's the thing, it's simply not true. God delights in giving mercy to people who do not deserve mercy. Think about that. God delights in showing mercy to people who do not deserve mercy. That's the Bible. That's the whole point of the Bible. I mean, think about it. Wasn't it Jesus who said, it's not the well who need a doctor, but it's the sick. So here's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to ask you right now, all across this room, to bow your heads and take a moment and and just ask God to speak to you. I want you to take this time, your head bowed right now, your eyes closed, and let God speak to you. Because maybe there's an area of your life where you're headed for regret. And if that would be the case this morning, I'm just going to ask you, would you just right now with your eyes closed and your head bowed and nobody looking around, would you just surrender that to God? Because here's the thing, you're going to need his help to go down a different road. And maybe this morning with your head bowed, you just need to say, God, I don't want to end up with this big mountain of regret. And I'm going to need your power to help change me. And let me just say this morning, whatever it is in your life, whatever it is, surrender it right now to God for his help. Because here's the thing, for that regret that hurts so badly, for the bad things that you did, for the things that were done to you, for the good that you know you shouldn't have done and you didn't do it, for the damage in your life that was done by your son or your daughter or your mom or your dad or your spouse or your ex-spouse or yourself, your embarrassment or your shame, just tell Jesus right now, heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm just putting it down. I'm setting it at the foot of the cross. Jesus, I'm giving you my regret. I'm giving you my hurt. I'm giving you my despair. And let me tell you, right now, as you put that down at the foot of the cross, receive from God His mercy and His grace and His forgiveness. Oh God, who heals our regrets, Oh, God, who sees our secret shame, bring what only you can into our lives this morning. Bring wholeness and mercy to us this morning as we pray this prayer.
Lord 
person God called you to be. Do the things that God has called you to do. Have the hard conversations. Do what needs to be done in your life as we ask kind of a prayer in Jesus' name. And that, my friends, is the official end of summer 